Today, we're going to talk about building relationships. And we have a theological word for that, and that's called fellowship. Uh, usually happens at night. Usually happens uh, when you're not completely awake. Sometimes it happens during the day and when you are very rushed and maybe careless of what you're doing. And it always happens when you are not wearing shoes. It is the moment when your little toe hits the corner of the furniture. You know the feeling. We've all been there. For parents with little kids, it doesn't happen perhaps with a little pinky. It happens the moment when you step on the smallest pieces of Lego. You said pick them all up, but it's always the little one. The tiniest piece that is left hidden in the carpet, the one you stepped on at night. And that moment creates a huge level of pain. See, Will Rogers said that everything is funny as long as it's happening to someone else. But when it happens to us, when pain happens to us, when you stump your little pinky, your toe on, 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 the, on the furniture, when you step on that piece of Lego, right away your hands reach for that damaged body part and you try to rub it and massage it. Because, see, it's the same instinct that mothers have when their child gets hurt. It's the same instinct that some of us have when somebody gets hurt. We go right away and try to ask, at least we ask the question, are you okay? Because, see, oftentimes it is pain that brings us together. We have this innate reaction to tend to the people in pain to the person in need. You see, there is a principle that we learned this morning. And the principle is that needs brings us, bring us together. Needs bring us together. We've been studying the life of Jesus in this series. And today we'll go to Mark chapter 8. And um, you can take your notes out or your Bibles. And uh, in Mark chapter 8, um, Jesus is with a crowd. And notice what it says. He whistled. Bible text for the, for the reading this morning. It says, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered. Now, let's stop here for a second and understand what is going on at this moment. See, in those days, it, it is not a chronological event except that what is happening now is that Jesus is not ministering to the Jews. He's ministering to people who are Gentiles, people who are not Jews. So there was a moment in the ministry of Jesus that he dedicated to minister to people who were not Jews. Crazy thing says, the Bible, that to his own he came, but his own received him not. So now Jesus goes to the Gentiles, and as he's ministering in an area called Decapolis, he, he, he performs a lot of miracles. He does a lot of great things and teaches great messages. And it says, and again, a great crowd had gathered. There's a story that is recorded in the Bible in, in all the Gospels. And it's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. Some people confuse this story the feeding of the 4,000 with the feeding of the 5,000. But in reality, these stories are different. The feeding of the 5,000 occurred ministering to Jews. 
the feeding of the 4,000 didn't happen ministering to Jews. It happened in the Decapolis. And that's the story that we'll try to dig in this morning. So it says, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. Nothing to eat. Now the first question that arises when Jesus comes to the Decapolis is that where did these people come from? They didn't know who Jesus was. Where did these people come from? You see, in chapter 5, Jesus goes to the capitalist for the first time. And when he goes to the capitalist, it says, to the other side of the lake, to the Sea of Galilee, he finds a man that, that is known as the demon-possessed man. You heard that story? And this man respond, responds when asked, what is your name? In the, in, uh, basically, the demons respond instead of the man saying, we are legion because we are Many. So, you, yeah, you heard that story. Cool. So, so what happens is that Jesus uh, heals this man and, and the demon is expelled from this man. All these demons go into pigs and the pigs dive off the, sh off the shore. And, 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 and then now Jesus is there with this man. And this man looks at Jesus. The people are afraid of him. They were afraid of him before he was healed. They're afraid of him after he's healed. And, and looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, can I follow you? And this is one of those moments... The only moment when Jesus told them, no. But go and tell your people what the Lord has done for you. That happened in chapter 5. This is chapter 8. In chapter 8, this demon-possessed man has become an evangelist. He's telling everyone about what Jesus has done for him. So now there's a great crowd of 4,000 men. Not including women, not including children. So you can make the calculations, you can do the math. 4,000 men, let's say half of them were married, that's 6,000. And if this 6,000 make 3,000 families, multiply times 2.5 children. <laughs> so we know that there were at least 15,000 people. And they were hungry. Have you ever had a party when people are hungry? The thing about this is that this event created a memory in the mind of the disciples and in the minds of the people. And see, this event, the place, the location, the way things happen, created an image of the gospel that the disciples did not have understood had not understood yet. This is a new image, a new perspective. Because see, there are events in our lives that when they occur, when they happen, we will never forget. In fact, we remember where we were, what we were doing, what we were thinking about. I'll give you an example. You remember 9-11. Some of you were not born in 9-11-2001. Hadn't born yet. Hadn't been born yet. How many of you were not, had not been born yet? Harry, you were born like four times over. <laughs> How many have you weren't born yet when 9-11 occurred? Okay, some hands. Some hands. Have you heard of the celebration of 9-11? We just had it a few days ago. Now, some of you who were alive at the time remember exactly where you were. 
what you were doing, when those images appear on television, you remember. Because those images will never leave our mind. In fact, today we say as a nation, we remember. But see, one of the things that happened on that day is that for a moment, at least, everyone in this country was united. I remember that happened on a Thursday morning. And Saturday, I had to change my sermon for church. The church was packed that day because people were so worried about what would happen. Now, there was one reality, though. There were people in the city of New York that had a special needs. There were people in New York who had lost loved ones. There were people in New York who were so concerned about their loved ones that they had the whole country praying for them. I remember praying at church for the people in New York City. Because at least for a day, at least for a moment, at least for a short season... We all got together because of the needs of someone else. The needs of the people have the power of bringing us together. Now, today we'll talk about fellowship. And I don't want to leave you with the somber news. I want to give you hope. And you see, fellowship, according to what Jesus is trying to teach us, is identifying the needs of others. True fellowship is identifying the needs of others. See, we have the wrong idea that fellowshipping is getting together and having a fun time. In fact, in most churches, we have a place that we call the fellowship hall and that's when we have meals and we laugh and we have social events because we think that fellowshipping is just having a good time getting together and enjoy life but see fellowship it goes a little more than that a little deeper than that according to what Jesus taught in this story and that is that fellowshipping is not just getting together but also as we get together is to identify the needs of other people and share Not only to satisfy their needs, but share other things like feelings. Uh-huh. Let's keep reading. He, Jesus, verse 1 at the end, called his disciples to him and said to them, verse 2, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now Three days and have nothing to eat. You see, compassion in the Greek term is the emotion of when you witness an event or witness somebody going through a circumstance that you feel it in the innermost parts of your body. We could call it a gut feeling. Something that happens that makes you Oh, you know, makes you hangry, angry, not hungry, make you, makes you angry, makes you sad. You know, those moments when you see an injustice and you get so mad that you go back home 
or you grab your phone and you post it on Facebook. That kind of emotion that you cannot stay quiet. The kind of thing that when you see something happening, you got to do something about it, even if it's just taking a picture and put it on Instagram. In the Greek, it's an emotion that drives all the way to the inner parts of your soul. Jesus says, I have compassion. Now, Jesus identified the needs of the people in three different levels. The first level is time. How long had they been there? Three days. Three days. Now, these people have been there with Jesus for three days. I can't imagine you listening to me for three hours. In fact, you struggle listening to me for 30 minutes. So imagine, imagine following this man. Of course, he's Jesus, right? I think he's a little better than me. But he's Jesus and he's preaching and people are with him not for one day, not for two days, not for three days. Because he, it's three days and they're not ready to go yet. So they're willing to be with Jesus as long as it takes, as long as their needs are met, as long as they're urged to learn and to absorb what Jesus is trying to tell them is satisfied. I think that fellowship in our days lacks a lot because we try to be entertained, not satisfied. And what Jesus is saying here, family, is that these people have been with him for three days. So the, the thing is that some of the needs of the people today are based on time. They're temporal. Some of them happen because of, we, we say this, this phrase, bad timing. Have you called somebody up, you know, in the middle of the day or whatever, and you call them up and you just want to say hi, you just want a fellowship? And they said, well, you know what? It's kind of a bad timing right now. Because apparently there is something that prevents them from having a social moment. There's something deeper. Now, if, if it was Jesus calling, he would say, okay, what's causing it a bad timing? How can I help? But, but us, we just say, okay, I'll call you later when circumstances improve. The second thing about it is that uh, Jesus finds that they had an actual need. They have an actual need. See, Jesus says clearly, they have nothing to eat. It just amazes me that Jesus, say, that Jesus doesn't say, you know, some of them are blind. Some of them are, are crippled. Some of, some of them have diseases that they come to be healed. So they have all kinds of problems. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say they're coming from broken homes. They're coming from persecution. They're coming from abuse. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't say some, they have issues paying the rents or their taxes. Jesus doesn't say that. He says their problem is they have nothing to eat. Apparently the other things are very easy for Jesus to solve but not food. Could it be that Jesus is trying to tell us that what we have to look for is to help the people with the simple things instead of trying to fix the world in the most complicated matters? 
The third thing that Jesus says is that when those needs are not satisfied, they will be possible. There are possible consequences. He says they have nothing to eat and they will faint. Verse 3. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. You see, the, the, the theologian William Barclay says that confront Jesus with a lost soul, with a body in pain, and his first in instinct is to help. Jesus is not concerned that they're so hungry they won't listen to my, they won't listen to my sermon. Jesus is not saying they're so hungry or they're so tired that they will fall asleep while I'm giving the punchline. Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying they are hungry and because they've been with me for three days, they need to eat. And you see what happens is that when needs are met at the feet of Jesus, that becomes social justice. But see, Jesus is using the, 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 the colloquialism of basketball. Jesus gave the disciples an alley-oop, but they missed the dunk. Verse 4. And his disciples answered, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You see, when the feeding of the 5,000 occurred, the question the disciples had was, well, to feed all these people, we need a lot of money. We don't have money. At least, at least they learned that for Jesus, money is not an issue. But now their question is of the avail availability of having stores. Jesus, there's no Walmart around or a Costco or 7-Eleven. How can we feed these people? At least AMPM has the 99 cents hot dogs. Don't need that, by the way. Not that I've ever had, but don't. See, the problem is that we, we never ask, how can I? The disciples were looking at the obstacles, at the deficiencies of the situation, but never asked, in neither of the two moments, and this is where they missed the dunk. How can we help? I think that our problem in society today is that we criticize everything and everyone, but we never try to be part of the solution of the problems. And all we do is create more division and more problems. I think the question that we should ask as Christians is how can I solve that? How can I be part of the solution? How can I help? And see, that is exactly where we miss the dunk. Verse 5. And this is the key to true fellowship right here. And he asked them, me and Jesus, he asked the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Now, apparently, they learned that when Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people, the first thing to look for is loaves of bread and fish. They learned that in the feeding of the 5,000. 
Now, when Jesus asks, how many loaves do you have, they respond. What's the response? We have seven. Well, last time there were 5,000 and they had five loaves. Now there's 4,000, seven loaves, the odds were pretty good. You see, God asked that same question to Moses. When God asked Moses to go and free the people from Egypt, from slavery, from another social injustice, he asked Moses, what's in your hand? Remember that? Exodus chapter 3. And, and, and Moses responded, I have a staff. God used that staff that Moses had in the desert to be the instrument that represented freedom from slavery. So the question, family, is the same question to us. What do you have in your hand? What do you have? Verse 6. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. Now there's something about bread. Not just the high contact in Carbohydrates, but bread is present in every culture. Regardless of what country you go visit, there's always some kind of bread. See, we have them small in little balls, and bread is big and flat. We have them dark, and some call it black bread, some others have them very white. Some is hard, some is really puffy, like the Hawaiian bread. I love that thing. <laughs> we were just talking about it yesterday. But see, it doesn't matter how bread is, bread is a common thing. Probably it's the most common food in the world. And Jesus is asking the disciples, how many loaves of bread do you have? Wiscovina. Hills Church, what is the most common thing that you have today? See, Jesus is not asking us to go and help people with difficult things, with, with unattainable things, with impossibilities. He's asking us to use the most common things that we have. You don't have, you don't need a degree, you don't need, you don't need a bank account. All you need to do is to be available. Maybe the common thing that you have is time. Maybe you have a place. Maybe you have a car. Maybe you have a good ear to listen. But see, God is asking us not to sacrifice difficult things. He's just asking us to use the common things that we have to make a difference. Verse 7, and they said, and they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to these also, should be set before them. You see, the thing about this is that fellowship is always surrounding a meal. Fellowship is sharing what we have, but fellowship cannot be complete without you sharing who you are. See, Having meals today has changed dramatically from what it used to be. 
See, back in the 50s and 60s, before my time, but Harry was already around. Uh, what, happened was that, what happened was that people, will, parent, mom and dad will come back from work, or actually not, not mom, dad would come back from work, and mom would be there at home, and, and, and the children would, would come in the house because dad was home, and everybody would get ready to have dinner. You remember those times? At least you've seen the TV shows, right? Then after the 70s, things begin to change because now mom also went to work, and by mom going to work, dinner time changed. And somebody had a bright idea. Utilizing that moment of family togetherness and the advances, advancements in technology, they discovered TV dinners. So now we could do two things at a time. We could watch TV and eat together. And along the same time, they invented microwaves. So what used to be a feast turned into a box poked by the fork. But now, family meals have changed so much. So much that even if we are together at the table, we are separated by a screen. So having a meal, a common thing that used to be the moment of togetherness and fellowship, now has become a moment of necessity. Do I have to go to the table? Can I eat in my room with my computer and my iPad R? So because of that reason, we have grown without the culture of sharing a meal with somebody that actually means something. See, in our country, we have fast food and rush hour and drive throughs to get your food. Do you want to eat in the car? Of course. In fact, I don't want to eat in my car only. I want to drive while I'm eating or eating while I'm driving. Because, see, we lost sense of the reality of the importance of sharing a meal together. Family, I will never get tired of saying this. The meal, the meal time, the eating time is such an important thing for God. Such an important thing for God that that was the first test for humanity. And before every time that man is about to do something special, there is a meal. Abraham had a meal with, with, with Jesus before the sacrifice of Isaac. Gideon had a meal with the angel before defeating the enemy. The disciples had a meal with Jesus before the church began. And the first thing we'll do in heaven when we get there, it's have a meal. I think that the time has come that we understand that everyone who does not know Jesus is hungry. And now you understand that I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about sharing a meal. Sharing a meal with the people who need you. With the people who've been there, maybe not for three days, maybe not for three months, maybe for 
three or 30 years and they feel lonely, they feel desperate, they feel with no hope and we have a pantry full of hope. We have a pantry full of future. A pantry full of love. See, Jesus never asked us for impossibilities. What he's always been asking for is for willingness. Fellowship is sharing because of Jesus. Fellowship is sharing because of Jesus. Verse 8. And they ate and where? Satisfied. They were filled and they took up the broken pieces, left over seven baskets full. Seven baskets full. Now, uh, there's a little difference between the result of the 12, of the, of the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, because at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, if you remember, how many baskets were left over? 12. But, but see, that meal was with Jews, so 12 was a symbol of the togetherness with, with the family of God. 12 is a symbol of the people of God. You, you, you've read that before. 12 tribes, 12 disciples, and, and this heavenly city will have 12 doors, 12 columns, right? It's, it's, a, it's a totality of the people of God. But in this case, what happened was that there were seven. Now, seven is a symbol of God, but in a different way. Seven is the day that God chose to be his, the communion with his people. Seven is a symbol of the presence of God with humanity. So what Jesus is allowing to happen here is to show all these 4,000 15,000 Gentiles is that God is willing to be with them even though they were not Jews. You see, the word basket here is very interesting. Because see, there's two words for basket in the New Testament. The one used in the, in the feeding of the 5,000, the 12 baskets that were left over. I, I used it with me. Is the word kofinos, and kofinos was, was a, 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 a cone-shaped basket that the Jews used like a backpack, to carry around their, their, their goodies, their stuff on trips. So what was left was 12 backpacks full of food. But this other word is spiritus. And spiritus, it was a flat basket. A flat basket. Kind of like the basket that was used when Paul was lower from the wall of Damascus when he was chased. Remember that story? This was a Gentile basket. Not a Jew basket. A Gentile basket. I don't know if you see it yet, but this image that God is using in the funeral of the 4,000 is that Jesus is including not only the Jews, but everyone else to be part of the experience with him. That is called fellowship. What Jesus is saying is that everyone, everyone can come and be part of the family of Jesus. This week I had an interesting email conversation. It was very short but very meaningful. And it was something like this. Pastor, are we considering the life groups to be just another ministry on the church or a foundational part of our church? 
And while I was preparing this message, it was like, that's exactly what I was thinking about. That was exactly where I was going with the message for today. Because I don't know if you understand it yet, but the life groups that we have in our church and the life groups that we'll have in our church are foundational to the experience with God. There's no such a thing as an isolated Christian. Hermit Christians don't exist. True Christianity, as we remember last week, is a connection of the divinity with humanity. Jesus was our example, being the connection of the divinity with the humanity. Worship is not for us to make us comfortable. It's for us to make us more like Jesus. And the only way that we can become more like Jesus is when we take all the knowledge that we acquire of the Bible and live it with other people. I didn't say share it. I said live it with other people. That is fellowship. That is exactly what Jesus did. Verse 9. And there were about, how many? 4,000 people. And after they were fed, after they had an encounter with Jesus, after they were satisfied, after they witnessed what could happen to the most basic needs at the feet of Jesus, then he sent them home. A while ago, there was a, a man who bought a little boat for his son. And that boat was placed in a case in the living room. This boat was never played with, was never put in the water. It was protected, protected by this glass from dust, from wind, from dirt. From accidents. But the father knew that his son wanted to be on a boat. So he went and bought a real boat to take him out on weekends, to take him to the lake on summer days. But you know what they say there's two happy, two happy days for people who own boats. The day they buy it and the day they sell it. Because see, every month, every year, the boat was used less and less and less. And one day when they went to get the boat, they discover that on the bottom, it was full of barnacles. The engine was not working anymore. The bottom of the boat was corroded. The boat had become useless because for years it had not been taken out into the water. It was just there, docked. You see, family, fellowship is so needed in our lives because the absence of fellowship. It turns into a Christianity like one of these two boats. Either we're just there in a glass, protected from the impurities of society, kept away from sin, but useless in the world. 
Or we could say, well, you know, I, I've been out there, but now I'm saved. I have no friends in the world anymore. All my friends are Christian people now. I don't want to be with the bad influence. What happens is that being docked, just parked, useless, we become decaying objects. So the question that Jesus is asking today to every one of us is, they're hungry. What do you have in your hand? What do you have in your hand? 